This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Shrimp and Sivret Show, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome, Shrimpy, to the uh, second episode of our uh the, the rob trump and danny savrette show um how uh how's your week been that's been interesting yeah that was a good week got got a chance to get on the ice with some players had some practices uh ran some ran some practices for some kids um had the chance over the weekend to go on something that was new for me it's called a, a garden party apparently here in latvia what you do is if you have a house, you invite friends over to your garden party. And it's, it's sort of like a little bit of manipulation because people come over and then what happens is you wind up cleaning up their garden floor. I mean, they feed you and give you some beers and stuff. It's pretty cool actually. But in the beginning I was like, Hey, this is sneaky. Like this is, this is pretty sneaky. Like hey, come how many people party. are there? Uh, there was, there was uh, six people, six people at the garden party. So are so you going to throw a garden party then too? Like I told my old man. Neighbor. Yeah. Cause I told my dad, I was like, he's like, what are you up to? I'm like, oh, I'm on the way to garden party. He's like, Oh shit. I got to, I gotta, uh, I gotta do my garden. I, I should invite. Him. I'm like, absolutely, man. Start bringing North America. Adopt it. It's, it's kind of smart, actually. If you what about what about your? Uh, you said you're on the ice. You running stuff for kids out there? Yeah, I got a group of uh, six, fifteen to seventeen year olds. So I get them out on the ice six fifteen in the morning on Mondays. And it's uh, a little bit bright and early, but it's the it's the cheapest ice. So I try to you know keep the cost down for the group. So it's what are you working on? Like, what would you work on with them out there? Like, are they all forwards D? Yeah, we get uh, three forwards, three D. So just try to try to mix it up. But a lot of the same, you know, a lot of the stuff is same for both. It's footwork, uh, speed work, explosion, endurance. You know, I got from my mentor, the drills that I was using, actually, when I was playing the NHL, uh, Brad Wheeler is his name. Nicknames is wheels. He's an absolute beauty unbelievable guy and he's he's like rain man of hockey he's, he's brilliant um mark giordano actually he's been working with with wheels for a long time and at his norris trophy speech he gave wheels like a ton of uh a ton of credit and same here i got my drills from him but it's he calls them the walmart drills and they're unbelievable it works on everything again explosion uh speed fast glide footwork endurance and shooting in stride and then you get these little details inside of the drills as far as keeping your head up when you're moving the whole time um you know mapping your shot out like when i tell them to shoot from the blue line if they're taking the shot we do slaps and snaps so slap shots and stride snapshots and stride and when you say shoot from one step inside the blue line they wind up shooting from the top of the circles it tells you they're either heads down or they're unprepared so um yeah these drills are a lot of you know really good d drills as well footwork pivoting gapping up, working on the pivots. So 
you know, that's really what I run with them. And I've been running it for about a month and a half now. And the progression in the players has been awesome. So that's awesome. What, what's uh out in Lafayette now? What's the weather like? Like are you golfing yet or <laughs> yeah, dude, I played two weeks ago and it was supposed to be 10 degrees Celsius and it was five degrees Celsius. I actually had wind burning on my hands. It was windy, rainy and cold, all three common, like the worst combinations. The only time you really want that kind of conditions is when you're in Ireland. So it's, it's starting to, today was 21. I went to the range and hit some golf balls, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long winter here in Latvia and it's, it's nice to start to get some, some sunlight here. I'm like pasty green, white, I need some vitamin D man. Yeah. We're weather's getting better here in London. Um, I, I, uh, walked the course the other day. Uh, I was actually surprised I hadn't picked up a club in, uh, pretty much since October. So, uh, my iron play was pretty good. My, uh, off the tee, I was a little struggling, but I was surprised at how uh, well my irons were, were playing for me, but, um, you still taking those beaver pelts or what? You, I, I, last you know, time just, we played, you were taking up earth, man. You were taking up a lot of press on the ball, you know, <laughs> hit the backside of the ball. That's all. Um, oh my God. yeah. And hockey, hockey wise here, it's sort of shut down a little bit. I think, uh, it's a bit of an off season. So, um, I'm just sort of prepping for, um, I run a league here in, in London for pretty much 15 year olds all the way up to OHL. And then obviously the pro skate uh, that we, we both skated in, but uh, just sort of mapping out uh, schedule that, and getting jerseys. Skate still, is that pro skate still basically an NHL All-Stars? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we, we're fortunate in, in this area. Um, like uh, a, a little backstory on it is, is uh, we used to run a, a pro skate here when we played. And then uh, since I retired, I have sort of inherited and took it over as uh, as the coach of, of the uh, of the team. And, uh, you know, there's some some good bodies on uh, on, on the roster, I think, uh, we should put together maybe a, a cap hit to see how, uh, how we would fit under the cap, the salary cap for the NHL. But, um, yeah, my, if anyone wants to check it out, it's my, my name, Danny Savrette.com. You can click through to the, the pro skate and, and check out all the bodies that there. O'Reilly's there, Doughty, Perry, Couture, like Horvat. There's a lot of good players that come into the skate. We're fortunate, um, in this area, uh, that, that hockey is obviously a, a big, a uh, big sport and and obviously the the kids that are younger ohl wise we sort of uh get them on the ice with the pros every once in a while or we put their sessions back to back so they're firsthand seeing how these pros you know practice and how hard they practice to get uh to be the best at uh at their uh, craft but um yeah think just about, sort of think about when they shut it down how sick men's league is going to be <laughs> like it's going to be dirty there's like you, you still play though right you're, st- you're still playing. I, I don't, I, I don't have a desire to be honest. Like I, I, I was asked by a few guys and I just, I would rather coach and, and help in that aspect, be, be around the room and uh, on, on ice that way. But I, I personally, I just had no desire to, to, to keep playing when I was done. You, but you, you still I, dangle. I love it, it man. I, I'm still like, I still, I mean, I love hockey. I can't get it out of my system. Um, for me, it's my, my, I guess release. And it's, it's how I, I like, that's my workout. Uh, as far as cardio, I, I can't stand riding the bike, man, especially now. Like I did it through my career, grind, you know, grind the hell out of it because you're supposed to, and <clears throat> you got to be ready for the bike test in September and all that good stuff. That's but fun. That's me, a fun test. Yeah. You just grind it all summer thinking about the misery and, you know, it's such a short bike test, but it's still, the results matter so much until you get on that ticket, you know, until you're, you know, eight years at eight and a half. <laughs> then it really doesn't matter, but that was not, not my situation. My, my results mattered every year at training camp. So, but yeah, for me, the, the outlet and, and I'm super competitive. So 
you know, my, my wife is basically like, get out of the house. Like you got to go back on your, you got to be the best guy out there. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to hold back. <laughs> I, I just came from a skate. Actually, I played Tuesday nights. I still get fired up. I'm still like, like, are, like, are you, are you like that guy that sort of rips down the half fall and tees when short side, or are you just sort oh, 100%. of like okay. I mean, the thing is for me, in men's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the line mate that all, you know, a lot of the guys that didn't make it and didn't play them. I'm, I'm going to be the guy that you always told your mom and dad that you needed a line mate like me. So now you get your chance in men's league and I'm going to dish it to your back door all night long. And I can't tone it down. Actually, I, I was playing a little bit when I was down in Florida and it, I actually almost got in two scraps. They're like more closer to scraps than I did in my pro career. It was, it was competitive and guys slashing and hacking. That's the thing when you're buzzing around like that too. There's a difference between the guys that are competitive and the guys that are disrespectful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when there's guys up there that are just trying hard, sometimes they might get you on the hand. Like you don't care. Like, you know, they're just being competitive and like trying. Then there's the guy that's like, there was one time I dangled the guy, had him be, and then I took the puck and he come at me and he's charging at me. And I could see it. Like he didn't skate very well, but he was charging at me. And I saw I was like, Oh, this idiot. I flipped it up over his head and it went on the other side of him. And I kind of to embarrass him for charging me like a bull. I just stood there and looked at him and then he looked at me and he tried to spear me in the face. And I was like, Nope. I took him and DDT'd him and I got him on the ice. I had him by his cage and I'm, you know, you whatever. And, uh, but again, back to, I guess, a long story long there, but there's you, a difference you, between guys competing. Did you not find it hard though? Like, you know, having played pro and then jumping on the ice, uh, with, with um, essentially like men's league players, did you not find it hard? Like how, how hard you should try? Like, cause there's obviously going to be guys that are like, this guy's not that good. But then if you try too hard, it's like, oh, easy, settle down, buddy. Like, how, how do you find that happy medium when you're out there? I don't, I don't really care what people think or what they say. And I bring it, like, I use it for my outlet. So I don't really care. And, you know, if people get upset, about, I, I, you know, I try not to make it. So it's the Rob Shrimp show. Like I, I involve my line mates, my team, as far as the other team, I don't care. Uh, I'm competitive. I want to win. So I'll, I'll get us to a spot where we're up four or five. And if it gets, you know, one or two, we're up, then we'll get you back up to five, go down. <laughs> but I, I use it for my workout, my outlet. So I, again, I, I really don't care what they're paying. If you're, I mean, when you're an active pro and you're going out there to men's league, I think it's a little bit different. I'm just a 35 year old guy now that used to play and I want to sweat. So what, what do you, you know. okay. So like now we're talking like hockey, you're, you're Latvia. So you're like six hours ahead of me and, uh, Seven. Seven. Seven hours ahead. Right. Yeah. So how do you like, we're obviously fortunate in North America that I get to, I can watch the seven o'clock game and the 10 o'clock game and then shut it down. Like how, what do you, do you watch any games live or? Yeah. I, I try to get the East East coast games. I'll watch the first period and a half, two periods. Usually I, you know, I get through that and you know, some nights I get to, you know, the full game in, but with a four-year-old daughter now, it's not, it, yeah. 6 30 she's up asking for the tablet so it's tough so i usually watch the eastern games if i'll pick a game and watch that and then i'll watch the highlights from the west coast games but and depending on what i have the next day as far as responsibility so if i can sleep in a little bit i'll watch some of the, i'll try to catch the west coast games but uh yeah that's usually usually the case and then the next day i'll wake up watch the highlights and uh you know and then if there's if i see some good stuff just in the highlights i'll go into the into my system and watch you know control breakouts, uh, power play, penalty kill, and break down some stuff and use some teaching clips for my players. Hmm. That's it. I just thought, I just, I never really thought of it. Like it, it, it must be hard to, like, I like watching games live uh, and, and not knowing the outcome. It's, you know, with social media and everything, you wake up and you, you see who won and then it's like, well, 
don't really care to watch the game knowing it ends for two, right. There's no, you know, climate to, to watching it, but uh, you know, I just, I, I just wondered how you sort of orchestrated over there. Cause I remember when we, when I played over in Germany, it's like, we never watched any live games at all. Right. It was just like, yeah. you just would watch the highlights in, in the morning type thing, but um, power, power lunches and then virtual golf. Yeah. Power lunch, power lunch. Can't hit a big golf. With, can't hit a big yeah. No big pelts <laughs> at the, the simulator hitting off cement. So I was, I know you had to break your wrist there. <laughs> it was easy there. <laughs> smoking but, concrete, man. So let, let's see. Anyways, let's get into the, uh, the, uh, bringing things to the table here with the, um, with the NHL draft lottery just happening. Um, I sort of would like to bring the option of if you were the commissioner, what changes would you try to make to try to make the game a little bit better or a situation within the league a little bit better? Like if you're the, if you're the commissioner of the NHL, what's Rob Trump doing as commissioner? First thing. Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. I think it's an uh, interesting thought. I, I think I would like to combine the, you know, what we had in Europe and, and some of the leagues where there's a, rele, you know, there's relegation in, in Sweden and, and other leagues in uh, Switzerland. They have a relegation round where there's the bottom, uh, bottom nine, nine through 14 play into a play, play down situation. So nine and nine and 10 or yeah, the top three teams are guaranteed in by a point system. And then those lower teams uh, have to play in a playoff round to see who gets relegated. So that's the backstory of that a little bit. I think would be interesting would be to implement that in the NHL where it, let's say a set date in January, those bottom teams that are not in a playoff spot at that moment are playing for the draft, the first overall draft pick. Oh, you know, for that. Not- okay. So you're not talking relegation, like, cause that would be tough. Like if you're relegated as the, well, you, you know, can't get relegated in the NHL, right? Like, yeah. They're not going to send you down on the NHL. Like, you're not going to take an NHL team and bring it, it down yeah. to the AHL. But so you're just I talking just, on the on the draft on the draft draft lottery side. Yeah, and, and yeah, I guess they kind of scrambled that a little bit. But that's I just want to give some backstory to what they do in Europe and why that why I thought about what kind of system they could do with the NHL. Something along those lines, where they, again, it, starting in January, this set date. If you're below the playoff line you're playing as one of those bottom teams, you're playing for the draft first overall draft pick. Okay. And you're competing for that. I mean, again, you can't use the relegation because they're not going to, when you're going to get Edmonton's going to get sent down to the Bakersfield, yeah. but, <laughs> but in Sweden and in these other countries, they have these, um, you know, like in Sweden, they have Alsvenska and those teams in those lower leagues are playing to get up. So the top teams have a chance to play the bottom teams of those higher leagues to get in. So that's again, the backstory a little bit for anybody that doesn't know European hockey or some of these leagues. But what I see it being implemented in the NHL is it would be great to incentivize not tanking. You know, you tank now and you you get a bigger opportunity, bigger percentage to get that draft lottery. And you know, and some people might say like, "Well, what? Just because they're not in the playoff doesn't mean that's right. Doesn't mean they can't be." But while they're chasing the eighth place spot or that last playoff spot, they're also chasing a second prize. And I think it would be unique to have that as a fan experience too, to have that, you know, double headed kind of thing to be cheering on. Yeah. It would create, I think it would create a little bit, again, some, some different interests. In, um, oh, it's gotta be, uh, no, I'm with you there. Like I, I totally grasp that. Like I, I think, you know, it, it's tough being a fan. Obviously you're a loyal fan to your city, your team and, and your season ticket holder, you're going to games. Like y- you want to go watch a competitive game game and and i'm not saying that it's not competitive but 
you know, you look at teams that know they're out of it and they're selling off guys or they're, um, guys are going on the long-term IR and you're calling up essentially the entire HL, uh, team to, you know, give them experience, which is, which is good. But as a fan, you're like, holy, you know, they, you just keep losing all the time. So I, I totally get where you're coming from there. Uh, I think as a fan, it's tough to go to games when you know your team's out of it and there's no real, you know, carrot at the end of the uh, day to try to go for. So I, I, I do, but like now, you know, just to sort of extend your, your idea, would you make it at a certain date? Like say, say January 10th or the trade deadline from whoever has the most points from that point on that didn't make the playoffs gets first overall or like is it once you're eliminated no. from the playoffs it's accumulated points from set date so you do it's january 10 just for the conversation's sake and january 10 we're setting <clears throat> we're setting this bar if you are not in a playoff spot from january 10 on uh, from january 10 starting january 10 if you're not on the playoff spot you're now competing for the first overall draft pick again incentivizing those teams not to tank yeah. And, you know, there might be the back push of like, well, that's good time for development and bringing guys up from the edge. Well, yeah, you still can. And now they're playing in meaningful games. I don't know how you develop as a young guy when you come up and the half the veterans that are on the team or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like the veterans on the team are like, oh, this season sucks. Let's get back, you know, next year making six and a half. Like, they don't give a shit. They're not really bringing their A game to like come. They're just getting through the season and waiting for next year. Yeah, I think with this kind of scenario, it'd be everybody would be competitive. You're playing for something still. If you're one of those really low teams, you see some of these teams that are out of playoffs. But I mean, we were on one uh, in Springfield. We <laughs> we were out of playoffs by December one. We had to play the rest of the year, and we weren't even in the meat of the season yet. We had nothing to play for. Yeah. We we're out, mathematically out of playoffs by by the beginning of December. So having some other carrot to chase after and, and still you know, achieve something. In, in- okay. So th- this isn't my, my idea. Like I, I have a different one, but just to sort of touch on that, you know, in, in Europe, you know, it's the, the point systems, three, two, one, three for a regulation win, two for an overtime or shootout win. And one point like we have here for uh, you know, an overtime loss or shootout loss. Do you think implement, I know hockey sort of very traditionalist, but do you think implementing that would help a team that's let's say, 15 points out of the playoffs or 20 points out of the playoffs when you know that if you're, if you can win games in regulation, you're going to gain points on everyone else. Cause what I find sort of a little bit is in the later half of the year, teams are sort of content with heading to overtime because you're like, well, if we just keep doing this, we're we're at least going to be above 500, right? We're going to get at least one point every single time out of it. But do you think there's any, like, do you think there'd be any type of push to, um, get that going where it's like you, you, you give the, you know, the team that can actually win the game at five on five in regular season deserves more points than the team that opts to win three on three in overtime or in the shootout. It's an interesting thought to be honest with you. Again, I was a part of a team that did that in Long Island. We, we just hung on for overtime. It was coached that way. We played that way. We didn't attack. We, we got to a, a tie and it was like, hang on, get to overtime. And then we had six, you know, well, obviously I'm precluding that. We had six shootout players, Franz Nielsen, myself, um, it's Jeff Tambellini. So we would, we muscled out some, some shootout wins, but that, that strategy was in place. And, I, and I'm not a fan of it. Like you stop playing for the win halfway through the second period is, is bananas. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, I think it's, 
yeah, if you incentivize that win in regulation, of course, three yeah. points, like let's try to rack these up. You know, there's going to become a point where the teams, you know, everybody starts to get the parity gets there and, and teams get on, you know, even the teams that started bad start to play and you get that level playing field and the games get more competitive or whatever, uh, not competitive, but teams that started slow catch up, blah, blah, blah. But if you start having a strategy to start as far as that, like let's rack up these regulation wins. I think it's a fair point. And you yeah. start pushing for that. And I mean, I'm not a fan of that. Like again, super competitive. I'm out in men's league getting fired up. So imagine how I am when I play in pro, but it's, it's something to like, bring the level up. And then you think about it, that's from our perspective in our, for at least from my perspective, then you think about the fans, imagine a fan watching a game where a team is, I wouldn't say laid down, but just hanging on for dear life, starting from halfway through the second period. Like how much fun could that possibly be? And I think what's important with this conversation the big piece of it is the fans and I think it gets lost a lot. Like in today's era, like NHL is fighting against e-gaming technology, kids and people on their phones. There has to be, in my opinion, some injection of new of, you know, we're getting a little bit of it, like with Trevor's egress and guys like this that are starting to make this game like super entertaining. You saw the reaction when that happened though. I don't know. You probably did. Yeah. Like some people are like, bad for the game you kept be having this but well, you heard it all the way up yourself like you were a guy that sort of would would do some things out of traditional type hockey and then you know at the time it was frowned upon i think now if you're doing it they're like oh my god this guy is amazing right like it's a, a different rhetoric back then. think about views and that's what's important like it's a it's a business and and the old school sort of mentality it came from a time when I don't think the game was such a business. It was more of a uh, brotherhood. Now it's a business. Like it's, it's a big business. And you think about the stuff that happens with this high level, I don't know, like the Zegra stuff. And, and you mentioned like myself, I was doing it. And I thought about when I was doing it, I thought about, first of all, it was effective. And I thought about it objectively. So when I got these no's and it's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? Is it illegal? No. Why can't I do it? You can't do that shit. What are you talking about? Subjective. And the second piece is it's entertaining. People really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have Instagram then, and we didn't have social media, Twitter, and getting that. So now when these players are doing this, that's business. That's likes. That's viewership. That's marketing. That's sponsorship. So it's, it's you know, there's a lot of different things to it. And then that's, that's the business side of it. And then you think about it from a fan when you're sitting in the seats. You know, again, you're fighting against esports and all this other stuff that's pulling away from the or pulling the fans away from the game. So you're gonna have to find ways to make it more entertaining and different, different than what was it was used to. Because, you know, think about it. Like even in the '90s, if you go to a game, you'd probably see five, six fights. And playing in the minors in the early 2000s, we had we had at least four fights a game. We had five meatheads on our team, and there was at least four fights a game. Everybody got a, everybody got into it. So games change a lot. And, that's my, my thoughts on it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine your white graphs whizzing around the ice, doing some crazy tricks, <laughs> like, like happy fans would be all over it right now. But, um, so to, to touch on the, bring it to the table aspect, uh, I would like to see teams retain players for a longer period of time. Like I think when growing up, it, it was easy to buy a, a, a Jersey of, of a player at, whether he's on the Leafs or Vancouver or whoever. And, 
that jersey is you can wear it four years later because he's still there, right? I, I feel like there's a lot of turnover, and I think the the salary cap uh, plays the the biggest factor in that. Um, and and I don't I don't want to say to go to my idea wouldn't be to go baseball route where there's luxury tax because then all of a sudden you get the the big market teams that just pay through the nose to have whoever on their team, and obviously the team will be way better because you know they're going to surrender um, salary or sorry, surrender money to the, to the league to go over the cap, but that would make a huge difference on a team. But my idea sort of would, um, since we're both in development in, in hockey would, would be to sort of give, uh, a benefit to the team that brings their own player up. So whether it's you're drafted or it's the first NHL contract that a player signs, I feel like he could be a discount on the cap. So let's just say like a Connor McDavid, obviously highest paid player. I think he makes 12 million a, a year or whatever, but let's say he makes $10 million. He was drafted by Edmonton. Um, whether you call it developed or fast track to the NHL, he was their product from day one. So by him signing now, let's say a $10 million contract, give, give them like a 20% discount on the cap or whatever number, 20, 25%. So now, his cap hit is actually only $8 million. Even though he's getting $10 million in his pocket, he's getting the, the team is getting a, a pr- pretty much like a, a $2 million rebate because they brought their own player along. And now they can turn around and use that $2 million to sign someone else, right? But just do you, the, think that would, do you think that money would trickle down into other developed players? You know, like sometimes there's not, there's players in the system that are good players and almost ready to be there, but there might not be room in the cap. There might not be, you know, there might not be room in that sense with the cap. You can't bring him up. There's nowhere to, like, he almost have to be careful as a manager because you can't let this guy develop too fast because where do you put him? You know, I don't. Yeah. No, I know. I'm with, I'm with you. Like, yeah, I would and, open that a little bit. Well, like the, the bridge, you know, like your entry level. And then, you know, if you're a, an, an, higher end player coming off entry level, which I think in, in the cap era, the entry level players are crucial to teams because you're getting them at a huge discount, even though, like you said, they're young and ready to go. They're very serviceable, probably worth more than what their cap limit is based on their entry level contract. Right. And then a lot of them will then turn around and sign. Well, it was a lot of them were signing that bridge contract, right? That would give them the, the two-year, three-year little window of, you know, here's a little bit more of a boost, knowing that in a couple of years, they're going to sign the big ticket. They sort of, the league has sort of foregone that, foregone that with, you know, the Matthews Marner and even Suzuki just signed a, a big long-term deal as well, where, you know, I'm just thinking like, if that's the way it's going to go, it's going to be, there's going to be a big jump. And, I, and Toronto has sort of seen it recently where, they have a, a handful of guys with big tickets and then you got to try to find other guys that are serviceable to be able to fit under the cap. Whereas they drafted Matthews, they drafted Marner. Like why wouldn't they get a bit of a discount? Because it's like, look, we farm these guys, we developed them. We made like, we assisted in making them good. We didn't just go and be the highest bidder to attract them to our team. You know what I mean? I think Potent- that that potentially would be able to open up more opportunities. I think it would be. I think it would honestly. I think it would trickle down too in the sense of <clears throat> who they place in positions for development and jobs. Um, you know, I've, I think through the course of my career, I've seen it. Sometimes it's a buddy system, and it's you know they might have played, have a decent resume, 
as far as a player that's like give him the job there you know where if you're talking about this kind of stuff 20 percent discount on a 12 million dollar player that's one 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 off but like all the way through it like developing your own stuff has a has a carrot of getting that mm-hmm. discount sale whatever you want to call it like 20 percent off I, I don't know i mean i think it'd be a good thing for the game as well as far as what i just mentioned like yeah. how you look at your miners and you know all the way down to the coast you know all the way all the way down like how what kind of emphasis you put on it as i think there's a huge drop off i really do there's certain places that are great and they have great people involved and great setups great staff everything and there's other places where it goes from nhl's the show and you go <laughs> you go a thousand miles down the road to the a <laughs> if you get yeah. sent down and it's it's just like you you know kind of drops right off it's it's yeah. unbelievable and it's there's no i don't think there's any emphasis you know, they're just worried about the show roster. They're not worried about, again, that development piece. You know, if they, if we don't have it, we'll go buy it in the free market or mm. the open market, you know, or we'll go, you know, whatever, we'll make trades to get that guy instead of, to your point, develop from the, you know, from the start, from the draft them to entry level contract. Yeah. I, I just was talking like on the turnover side of things, like, you know, there's a lot of players that have played for six, seven, eight NHL teams in their career already. And it's like, a couple years ago, it was, you know, if, if I bought a your K Lume Jersey for Vancouver, like I'm going to wear that for a bunch of years, right? Like he's not going to get to a point where if, if he is good enough, cause there's no captain, but if he's good enough to warrant more money, then he just goes and signs for a team that's willing to pay him that has the cap availability. Right. Uh, I just, as a fan, it, it, you know, it's the turnover rate is, is tough to follow, you know, a, a player or, have a favorite unless you're obviously taking your favorite is the guy who is on the eight year, seven year contract. Right. But there, there are players that deservingly should be favorite players, whether they're, you know, third line penalty kill guys or um, everybody has their roles and real fans know that. Like you go to the game, if you're a real fan, like playing, watching, growing up, watching, I mean, Syracuse crunch. I watched them a ton. We used to go to games and they were there. It was, you know, great to go to those games and see those guys. Also the Syracuse junior crunch junior A team. That was my first kind of passion for watching and going consistently to watch these games. There was different players you find, fell in love with kind of envied. And, and it wasn't, you know, Matt Murley was the big dog in Tim Conley, but Matt Murley, mostly I, I remember seeing him a lot more, but I fell in love. He was the top guy, top point guy in the league, but there was other guys like Paul Harvey was a tough guy in this, the way you saw him every single game, you, you, you kind of, build an attachment to him, mm-hmm. you know, love, like love to watch him play, even though he's not scoring all the points, there's certain things that they do. And like you're talking about as a fan, you, you, you attach to that. It doesn't have to be the top dog Marner, uh, you know, uh, Matthews and those sort of things. There's other role players that like you're saying, if they're there for a longer time, you get, you get that appreciation for them. And yeah, that's a, it's an interesting topic. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that, I think we discussed some things that were fairly interesting, maybe gets, everyone listening, the brain's moving and, and hopefully that, uh, you know, the, the game itself can evolve, um, you know, to make things better, whether that's going back to a, a one versus eight playoff format, or even like a one versus 16 format, you know, uh, I know travel would be a little bit difficult, but you know, it's, it, it is doable, right? With everyone it's a charter. But yeah. Everyone flies. It's, private, not, a, it's so. not a sleeper. It's not a yeah. sleeper going from uh, a sterile Florida all the way to wherever Alaska, you know, they fly to that one, but you but. get the point. Atlanta's 18 hours. I remember being down there and they had a series against Atlanta and they had, 
in between games they're busting 18 hours 14 15 hours it's nuts but, but I, on that topic I, I that's what i was kind of going to go today with to, what to bring to the table was about development and the difference between uh north american models and, and european models and i think you know in my opinion i, I really i like the european model a lot about how they develop players and, and not just players, but the person they develop people and they're very patient with players. Um, you know, you find when I first came over here, I had the North American mentality and they're talking about a player and you know, he's 21, 22 years old and there's, he's still young. He's still a kid. And, and for us back home, like you get to 21, 22, you're almost, if you're not there, you're almost washed out. Like you're almost like forgotten about it. 23. Especially now it's fat. It's really fast tracking now. Right. Yeah. But guys, the teams are a lot younger now. Absolutely. So you I mean your windows at like 25 and then you got the veteran rule and the minors, which shoves out, you know, and that's, that's the thing. And again, from European side, I really enjoyed that model about how patient they are with players. Um, they look after the players and they have a mentality. They're going to, they're going to help them grow the, to the furthest point that they can possibly take them where I feel like a bit in North America, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, didn't cut it next get out, you know, get out of here next. And it's just shoe and shove away where again, the European stuff and, and seeing it. And you see Sweden now has really jumped up on the charts as far as development mm -hmm. and the NHL is full of, of really high end Swedish players. And the biggest thing uh, for me was watching the, the development there. When I played there was the defensive uh, defenseman side of it, how much patience they had with them, how much they taught them and the details that they taught them with, skating and escapes and i remember a guy sebastian aho he plays in long island right now he was he was a small guy like five seven five eight probably and there's times he's going back for a puck and having that again north american mentality I'm like man he's gonna get killed he's gonna get killed and then he come out this little like footwork motion boom comes out of it clean no hit at all and has full control makes a first pass so their development it, the, i guess the point being though is how patient they were with Seven. What do you think? Okay. So what's the, what would you say is the difference then between uh, outside of patience? Like, is it something they're, they're preaching more in practice or in games or like games, practice in games, but it starts at a young age too. It starts at like, it starts at a really young age, 11, 12. They're competitive. There's no doubt about it. It's not like they go out on the ice and lay down, but they're also not like win at all cost. Screw the kids. If they don't, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, looking after they start that young age where there's not this urgency and like, I don't know, for lack of better. Run your top guys head. all the time. Yeah. Run the top guy, yeah. run to the head to win. Yeah. You know, it's more like a kid made a mistake. Let's be patient with them. Yeah. And on Monday, we'll go over this in practice and we'll run drills to like go over whatever the mistake was or whatever the kids need to be improved on. So it's very patient, very slow and not so fast. And then, I like that model a lot better. I think it's a, you think about it in. North no, I, 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 yeah, I know I'm, I'm with you there on, on that. I like, I don't, obviously don't know the, the model out in Europe as much, but I, I'm totally with you on the side of um, there, there's a huge emphasis in North America, or at least let's, I'm speaking about being in Ontario, but there's a huge emphasis on, on winning, like, which is obviously winning is a byproduct of development. Right. And, and it doesn't, if you're not developing the whole team, then you're not really developing. You're just winning, relying on rolling your top guy over and over and over again. Right. And I think that's maybe where we're in North America, we get away from actually developing the entire roster, right? Like let's, let's say you have 
um, a, a defenseman who you would deem to be not one of your top two defensemen. Well, you know, in game four of the regular season, put him on the ice with a minute left in, in the D zone and to see how he like test him out, see if he's trustworthy. And who knows, maybe he'll just compete like hell. And you're like, wow, I can put this guy on the ice anytime. Right. Versus just relying to the top guy all the time. And then you end up just developing your t- upper echelon players and the players that are, you know, m- more middle of the pack or, um, could use the, the development more. You, they're sort of sitting second fiddle and, and watching. I think to he's your gonna point, be a five, six, he's going to be a, yeah, like he's going to be a five, six, he's going to be a, he's going to, then you tag him, and you put that, the, the people put the tags to him, And that's what the kid's going to be. No matter what, it's just going to be, now he's five, six, yeah. which doesn't, no, it's free. Like I, I think, I, th- I think the model here, you know, hockey's a game of mistakes. So you, you make mistakes and that's how you get better. Like look, look back to, well, you weren't on the team at the time, but you look back to our first year when I played for the the Knights, we were all like 17 year old kids, not expecting to do anything. And we were allowed to play a lot. Like, sure. I probably made a lot of mistakes, but I learned from it. And then the next year we go and, you know, we realize we're now 18 or 18 year olds. And, you know, we've had a year worth of playing big roles on the team to develop ourselves internally. And then we acquired yourself. And, and then the following year, we were 19 years old and we we're the, the same team of kids that got to play three years in big roles. To, you know, yeah, we screwed up and probably cost the, the, the team on a, a win or two or three, like, but we all learned from it. And then our final year, we were all in a position where anyone could be the go-to guy, right? Like it, we, we developed internally. And, and I think that the model has shifted away from that. I don't know if we were an anomaly or, or what, but uh, I think the, the model did has shifted away where it's like you run your horses all the time. And it's like, well, you know, it, in, especially in minor hockey, like you're there, you're coaching in minor hockey to develop a player. Like think about it now. Can you remember in minor peewee, like how your team did, did you guys win? Like who cares? You know what I mean? Like I, I don't remember how he did in minor Bantam, major P like that doesn't, it's just, you're developing a player to, to put him and, and a, a person like you had touched on in over in Europe, but you're developing, developing a player and a person to be put through stressful times and see how they react and give them confidence and learn, uh, and not sit there and just, okay, let's put out little Jimmy and see how good he does because he's the best guy on the team. Like, you know, everyone wants to be in a position to, to succeed. And sometimes you have to fail sometimes to, to learn how to succeed. But if you're just sitting well, there, that's the thing, man. imagine you get to watching. fail once you get to fail once or, you know, small sample size, like that's with anything succeeding. You also like you succeed to succeed. You have to do it a, a lot of times, repetitive practice, keep repeating the same or repeating the details in the situation, situations when you fail, let's say you fail a couple of times two or three times and then the coach pegs you, mm. you don't get to, you don't get to learn in that situation. You're never going to be put in it again. How do you, how do you ever get out of that box? You, you can't. And it's, I think it's more patience is definitely the key to that. And, and what's the, okay. When we start to get into pro and you start getting paid, that's a little bit different. Mm. But when you're 12 years old or 14 years old or 16 years old, whatever, going up the list ages until you turn pro, like there has to be a little bit more leeway, I think, and that's the difference, you know, playing with a guy like Tim Heat also in Scalaptia, he made it to San Jose at 24, 25 years old. That 
I don't think if he was in the North American model, he wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. He would have got buried in the minors. Draft picks would have kept coming, but he developed in Sweden slowly, slowly, slowly got stronger, got better, got better, had a big season. And then he was ready for that jump. He got the chance to build his confidence, build his knowledge, build his experience without that pressure of like, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm 24. I'm done. You know, we've been there in the minors. It's, it's tough. Even for like, to be honest, even before, like, even before that, like we're talking pro, like to get to yeah. pro you're, you're talking a small, small percentage of the, the hockey players in the world that get the luxury of, of playing there. Right. But there's kids at 14, 15, whether you're not drafted in the OHL or you, you don't make a junior B team, it's like, Oh, I'm done. Like, you know, like to your point, patience, there's hockey everywhere in the world. There's hockey that opens up avenues for you to play NCAA or, or CIS in, in Canada that give you a scholarship, you know, education from it. Uh, I, I think in, in North America, or at least in Canada, there, there's a big emphasis on getting good fast. And if you're not, it's like done, you know, this, I, I quit. This is not, this is not what I signed up for. Like, you know, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the, the way that you're developed like we were touching on, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't be a, a spectator, a pay, like a spectator wearing the same Jersey as the best player on the team and watching him all the time and expect to, to develop anything. Like I feel like coaches need to develop and, and I'm just speaking in general, but I think coaches need to develop their entire roster and put players in positions to succeed. Right. Not everyone's going to be a Rob shrimp, huge, massive point getter. But there's going to be a player on the team that maybe, you know, is a lot better defensively than Rob Shrimp and will block shots. And it's like, you know, teams need those type of players. It's not all about who has the most points. Oh, that's the best player. Right. And we see that with those guys too, Danny, the guys that that are in those role positions, as far as not expected to get points, it's it's amazing to me is how they they're expected to shut it, it off completely. You know, they don't get, you know, when you're one line one or line two, you obviously have that more rope but like it's starting to come around a little bit more third and fourth line guys are getting a chance to play it's starting to evolve but like for me personally i remember talking to some guys while i was playing and even after now like talking to players like hey what like go after that situation that you can expose this guy here and take that he's like i i you know i can't gotta get it deep gotta get it deep you know it's 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 kind of bizarre to me to be again it, it kind of goes into being put into that box labeled and then limited mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit bizarre because again not everybody has the, I guess the, the details that you need to execute like that on a nightly basis, like a math user, a high-end skill guy. But in these situations, being able to have that recognition of the play, taking advantage of it, and executing, to have a player be like, oh, "I can't, nope, can't. I'm a fourth liner." It's like, yeah. dude, it doesn't matter, man. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you know, again, you're not going to be taking the risk to get this all the time. But if it appears and it presents itself, it's. I don't know. That's interesting to me how some guys get in that box and, and just kind of, I think it's a comp. I think it's a confidence thing too, right? Like it's, it's, it's easy to go out and play carefree. Right. And, and when you are in a position where you think, Oh, if I screw up, I'm not going to play as much like that. You know, I, I got a short leash here. Like you're going to end up resulting to things like where you don't try to do, I, I get it. Like, you're, you need to be a risk reward type individual, right? You can't be trying to last man back, try to beat a guy. I understand that. But in situations where it's like, you don't always have to be ultra simple, ultra 
safe because that's what coach wants. It's like at the end of the day, it's like maybe coach does want that, but you still need to be able to play and develop like at a young age to grow skills to then be, you know, more valuable to either someone else or, you know, the team above or a, a school or the OHL or, or whatever it be. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I just, I, I'm with you there on the development side. It's, it's interesting to hear the European model and, and the patience. And uh, I think there's a lot of emphasis here at a very young age to, to win all the time. Winning is a, is a byproduct of development, right? It's not the, you know, you can, you can ride one, the top player who's 10 years old and you'll probably win. But when everyone turns 14 and it's the same team, you're probably not going to win because you haven't developed anyone outside of pretty much the top player who's the 10 year old. Right. But I think, I think that was a good uh, little segue there for bringing it to the table. I think we got a lot of things uh, covered. And um, I think that if we can jump into, uh, I know you cut some video here uh, to go over and, and obviously for, uh, the, the viewers that are just listening, uh, we'll go over some video here that'll be posted on our social media feeds and, and YouTube where, uh, we try to, you know, give as much education possible. Uh, so if you're, we'll try to do a better job of, of making it. So if you're just listening and not viewing, we'll, it's easier to understand, but, um, so Rob, go ahead with your, uh, your video section. <laughs> This week, what I'm going to go over is something more of an individual uh, skill, and it's a a shooting technique that I go over with all my players. I call it barrel drive, and I think about it in the sense of me as a lefty, my right hand, I use that to drive the barrel of my shot, and that's my first, on the slap shot, that's the first motion that I think about, driving the barrel with my right hand. If I'm Your top hand my top hand. And if I'm a righty, obviously it's the opposite. My left hand would be the barrel drive and barrel drive is, is something that I use personally as an athlete. I use it at all. Like it's in baseball. It's the same thing, the same terminology, driving the barrel, the bat and golf. When I get the club to the top of my swing, I'm up at the top of my shoulders. I'm driving my barrel, my right hand and driving at that ball. So it's a little bit of depth uh, or, you know, dive into the barrel drive and what, what I'm trying to get at. And I'm going to demonstrate in this video here is how uh, Roman Yossi uses the same technique. And a lot of the goal scorers, a lot of the, the, a lot of the shooters, the good shooters in the NHL use the same technique. If you watch it and you pay attention to it Um, again, barrel drive. And in this situation here, there's some other details that I want to break down this clip, but this clip is something where it's a offensive zone face-off between Colorado and Nashville. The puck comes back to Yossi at the blue line. And he's got a lot of time and space. And the details in, in this situation are um, he grabs the puck, gets his head up, starts observing where the net is, and he starts to you know, see what his time and space is. And as we play this clip out, I want to pay attention to those small details. You watch, he grabs his puck, he starts walking the line, and he starts stepping into the shot. As he's stepping into the shot, his head is up. He's not staring down at the puck. And I think this is a mistake that a lot of defensemen do. They're watching the puck. They're looking at the puck and then staring straight down and then just ripping it hard. And this small little detail gives Yossi a ton of information of what's going on, exactly, you know, exactly how much time and space he has. But it also what it does as a demon, when you walk the line like this and have your head up, it, it, gives, uh, it gives you an exact location of where the net is, which is what we're shooting at what the hole is and where to shoot it through. So this small detail is huge by Yossi. And once he gets into the shot, he's got his head up. He's looking to see where his, where his opportunity is. 
And now here we get to the barrel drive part and we'll play this out and you see how his stick for me, when you're taking a slap shot for this barrel drive, I like to teach players to get their stick straight up and down the air in the air, not behind their back and, and almost in a twisting motion. When you take the barrel of your, of your stick and you have it straight up and down the air, like diagrammed here, what that does is it now brings you over the puck. And for me, what it does when I get over the puck like that, it allows me to look up and use my peripheral vision to look, uh, you know, use my peripheral vision to see the puck. And that, that helps. It, it lets you know exactly where it is in your inside of your body. And again, it, it helps you. So you don't have to stare straight down at it. So barrel drive, as soon as you bend down and you put that stick straight up in the air, it brings your body over the puck. So what it does is it brings your eyes also closer to the puck in, in depth instead of standing straight up and twisting again, think about it. The, um, the distance from your eyes to the puck, if you're standing straight up would be, would be greater. As soon as you drop down, you're now closer to it and it's now easier to use your peripheral vision. So there's some small details in that, but the main point again is barrel drive. And we'll watch this clip and how it plays out. Again, the stick is not back. It's straight up and down. His right hand as a lefty is going to drive down at this puck and the force is going to go out. And again, here's a diagram of him using his peripheral vision and not staring down at the puck. I think that's a great example of the exact moment right now. He's got his head up. He's looking at the net and he can see in the bottom of his, of his peripheral vision where exactly the puck is. He never has to look down and it gives him a chance to drive that barrel and get the shot off. And, it, and the thing is, is once you learn this barrel drive technique, it's super powerful. It creates so much torque. And I mean, you're going to, you're saying you torque. You're saying torque, you mean, you're talking about the, the stick, like the use of the stick, using the, the flex of the stick? Yeah, to, when you drive generate. that barrel down, it drives, it creates force and torque. So you drive the barrel down, that's your first motion. And the next piece of it is, is once you uh, initiate that barrel drive, you drive down, you feel it in your lats is what you'll feel the next thing. So you drive your right hand down. And the next thing is you'll feel in your lats and your core and you start torquing on the puck. And that creates, again, it creates a lot of torque. and it, it, The shot velocity gets very heavy. Does that so make sense? Yeah, no. If you, and, and, and speaking a little bit to what you had touched on there, how Yossi's eyes are above or over the puck. I think that just puts the, your, your body weight in the perfect spot to be in front of the puck at contact, right? You're not, you're not connecting with the puck at the ice. You're, you're connecting with it a little bit back so that you generate the, the torque in the stick or the, use the flex of the stick to then propel the puck. Um, so like, obviously, the, you have to be strong enough to be able to create some flex. But I think even at younger ages, the, the flex are, are reasonable to, to be able to still generate power through a, a, a slap shot. It's just a matter of... Yep. of staying above the, the puck. And like you said, using the, the, your top hand and barrel driving uh, through the puck to the target. Exactly, Danny. Once you get your body weight over that and you start leaning into the shot, instead of standing straight up and, and sort of chopping and your body, your, your body goes fading away, almost yeah. fading away. That's where you lose all, you lose all the power. And as a youngster, you need, you need all the power you can get. If you're whatever, 11, 12 years old, you got to lean into the stick to get that power. It's, you're not strong enough to just use, you know, use all upper body. So as soon as you, you know, load that stick up, get it back again to the, to the part where it's straight up and down. 
and you start thinking about barrel drive, that's, that's what's going to load you up to be able to transfer that weight, transfer that power into the shot. And again, for me, it's, it's, I think of that technique and just thinking about drive, okay, drive the barrel, get the stick straight up, up and down like this. It's over my head. I'm now bent down. I'm over it. I'm going to drive my right hand, drive my barrel and torque into this puck. And that's how you build velocity. And, you know, especially as a youngster leaning into it, these guys get into higher flexes, right? Like he's probably using, I don't know. I, I don't know for sure, but probably around a hundred flex stick. You're not using that at 11 years old. You're probably using like a 45 flex, but um, to get into that shot, that's the technique. And, and I got another clip, same game, uh, different player. <laughs> And now I'm going to go into the same game. Uh, another really good hockey player here, Nathan McKinnon. And here's a situation where he uses the barrel drive technique. And there's some other key ingredients in this play that I want to point out. And one of them is here. And this is a small detail. Now, as this puck is on the wall with Gerard, take a look at McKinnon right now. He's looking and he's gaining information by checking his shoulder. But a lot of players sort of make the mistake of is when the puck is with a, a teammate of theirs, they stare at it. And this is a mistake that gets made on the defensive side of the puck. You say, don't puck watch when you're on the offensive side of the puck. Don't puck watch either. You see again here in this situation, he gets his shoulder check in. He checks the, the ice, sees what the information is. So now what he is, is Nathan McKinnon is two seconds ahead of the play. And the other piece of this is as a shooter, it's giving him his, his, is true north on his compass. He's understanding where the net is, exactly where the net is. Not guessing, not like, oh, it might be there, not staring at the puck where his teammate has it. And, and again, guessing where the net is. He's looking exactly where the net is and what's happening at the net. So it gives him two or three seconds ahead of the shot, that information. And then if we let it play out here, you take a look. Here we are back to the barrel drive situation. You can see how he gets his stick straight up in the air like this, vertical. And he's using his He's a righty. So now we're going to switch hands. He's using his left hand to drive down, create that force, create that velocity, create that torque and rip this puck. Now this, this instance is a one-time, uh, what's a one-time shot, but it's a slap shot. And it's the same details that we just saw with Yossi, as far as the barrel drive and the technique of it. So here comes the shot barrel drive. His left hand is going to drive the force down and create this force out towards the net. Versus if he were to stand straight up here and again, on contact of the puck, be leaning back and it's almost his, his force going up instead of towards the net, the shot would be a muffin. And that's, that's the trick of the trade, so to speak is, is in my opinion is barrel drive. Thinking about that when you're loading up to, for this shot, for this one timer, getting as a righty here, my left hand down and the technique that I teach a lot of is get your top hand almost almost at the same line as your, as your, as a righty or left knee, as a lefty, I'm going to take my right hand and have it almost in line with my right knee. So that means my barrel's loaded and I'm down and my body's in a position to again, transfer and uh, transfer the weight and build velocity on the shot where when your hands are up high, say waist level or higher, your body's up high. And then your, your sort of, your shot is going to be going, um, on contact, your body is going to be leaning backwards. So barrel drive is, is something I'm a big believer in. And I think that's, again, if you're a player looking how to build velocity on your shot, give this a try. It's very effective. And I go through a lot of the shooters 
McKinnon, Stamkos, Ovechkin, these, some of the, I think one of the main uh, common denominators is they use that bottom uh, top hand in the barrel drive technique. I think, uh, I think a, a pretty good drill too um, for, for young demon or, or players just looking to improve their, their slap shot is uh, like you said, when in the Yossi example, he has his head up, right? So you can just have pucks situated, uh, you know, 10 inches apart, uh, line up maybe 10, 10 pucks and stare at the posts, right? So you're just inside the blue line or top of the circle or whatever. Your, your goal is to try to, I don't care if you hit the net, your goal is to try to hit the left post, the right post, the left post, the right post, but hitting all the pucks. And like you said, using your peripheral vision to sense where the puck is and not bury your head. Cause I, I, I feel the same thing that you had said, like when I'm watching a, a younger uh, team play, uh, a, a defenseman will, will take a slap shot and he's just so focused on trying to hit this thing as hard as he can, that he doesn't really either hit the net or realize that there's a blocker coming out. So he doesn't miss the blocker. There's a lot of times you end up hitting shin pads. Right. And then uh, just to touch on what you said about the weight transfer aspect, it's like, you can just be stationary in this drill where you just have a, a line of 10 pucks lined up separated by a few inches, five, six inches. Um, and you're just loading up for me. I'm a left-hand shot. I'm loading up on my back leg, my left leg, my sticks vertical. My, the, my lower hand is like you said, ready to barrel drive. And then as I make contact, I'm staring at the, at the net, trying to obviously at this point, shoot for the left goalpost. And as I finish my shot, I'm pointing my target, my, the toe of my blade will be pointed towards the left goalpost. And now all my weight is on my right leg. My left leg is I'm pretty much on one, one leg at this time. Right. And then I reload, I come, I just make a, a, a subtle little shuffle stride back to loading my left leg again. Same thing. I'm foot, but I'm staring at the right goalpost. Same thing. And you just keep doing that. So you get to it in a position where you get comfortable knowing that when you're winding up for a slap shot, you know where that puck is, right? You're just comfortable doing something repetitively. Uh, and I think it'll, it'll help the defenseman or, or even the forwards that are, um, you know, that are taking more slap shots uh, to be able it's to repetition to, too. Yeah. It's like the, that repetition and building, just like we talked about with the players not getting the chance to, to go back out. If they make a mistake, they have to get the chance to, to have that, those repetitions. So in this situation in the individual stuff, it's, it's no different doing reps and reps and reps. And a lot of players need to understand that is there's no, there's no magic potion, you know, did an ex NHLer to be your coach. It doesn't mean automatically you're going to turn into whatever top prospect. Uh, it's about these, these little things about training and repetition and, and doing these sort of things over and over again and training your training, your eyesight like this is so important. And it's easy to do because you don't need ice to do it either. Like at home, these sort of things, these little details, like setting up on your plastic board and shooting on your net. Same thing. Like, like you just said, stare at the post and use try to think about using your peripheral to see the puck. Never look down. You don't need to look down because the other thing is when you're practicing in these scenarios, what's important to understand is never be afraid to fail. Like who actually gives a shit if you're get 10 pucks out there and you, you do what we're, we're explaining here. And let's say you miss all 10 of them. Like you shank all 10 of them. Who gives a shit? Like really get them back up there, load them up again, 10 more. Do it again. And then you just do it and do it and do it until you start to grow and progress. And the thing is to take the stress off and don't be afraid to fail. Again, there's no pressure. There's no, there's nobody out. There's no fans in the building. 
you know, maybe if there, maybe if there was a coach watching that would put a guy under pressure, but think about this, like, let's say you go out there and fail at it or stink at it for the first two or three times the coach sees this. And then on the fourth or fifth time, you're like ripping them post, post crossbar, post, post crossbar. He gets to see you progress and see the growth of you getting better at something that tells a coach that you're committed. So instead of taking it in the sense of like, Oh, I don't want to look bad in front of my coach. It's more like take it, think about it as an opportunity. Maybe I'm going on a different tangent here, but uh, hopefully that resonates. And I think, you know, those, those things of never feeling that pressure, don't feel pressure when you're in these practice modes, just understand that you're trying to get better. It's something that's going to make you sick at hockey. It's going to make you unreal in the, in the games. Yeah. Eventually when you develop it and you have that comfort level where you can walk in like Yossi does in there and not look down at the puck and, and again, execute on these, these little things. It's so empowering. It's mm-hmm. sick. The, the other thing I would say also is, um, you know, with younger players, the flex of sticks are a lot more whippier. So when you are taking a slap shot, lower your bottom hand, like a couple inches more than comfortable, just because some of the sticks are so going to be so whippy that when you do put that force in that the bottom of the stick will end up giving out and, and bowing out and you'll just sort of fan on it. And it's not your fault. It's more the stick. So if you lower your hand, uh, it'll, it'll create a, a, a smaller area for the, the, the stick to bow out on you. Um, and then as far as the defense win goes, I, I I've noticed a lot of D at the minor hockey level, uh, will opt to take like wrist shots from the point and like to try to try to go shelf or whatever. Um, when I'm teaching defense on the defensive side of thing, any wrist shot that comes in, I'm telling my D to front that, right. Anything that's above the, the midsection, especially a wrister, I, you should be able to block that. Like it doesn't hurt, you know, you have lots of time to get in front of it. So um, the emphasis on a, on a defenseman, you know, taking a slap shot, obviously missing the the blocker or the, the the guy who's coming out the block, having your head up, but aiming for both posts, one one post or the other, and about a foot or foot and a half off the ice is the hardest thing to stop as a defender to block and obviously as a goalie. When there's traffic in front of the net, the goaltender is just going to opt to go down into his butterfly. So if you can elevate the puck just over his butterfly, he's just going down hoping it hits him, right? And well, when the, it's- head up, the head up thing too, Danny, gives you insight on, on velocity. And I think in my, from my day, at least our day, the best person to do it, in my opinion, is Nicholas Lindstrom. And his velocity was like 78, 5, 80 miles an hour. Obviously, he had Holmstrom in front, but like your head up gives you an idea of velocity, which is, is totally, I think is really important. Because again, you don't have to rip everything. You don't have to. And even like what you're talking about, if you're placing it 13 inches over the pad, Sometimes it doesn't need to be a missile. And when you take off and you take off the shot, it gives you, it increases your accuracy. When you're trying to grunt and rip, it's just like in the, I try to translate everything over to other sports, but I love golf. But like in golf, like you go on the driving range, you try to, you try to rip it. Huge pole hooking them out of the range. And then as soon as you kind of have this smoothness to it, it gives you, your accuracy goes up and the, your placement of the ball goes up. It's the same in hockey. I think when you're trying to really grip it and rip it and just grunt and, rip this thing as hard as I possibly can, you start to, it's not easy to be accurate. You know, I think, so it's, it's a valuable point, but the head up part of it is like, again, giving you that insight of like, how hard do I need to shoot this? Sometimes there's a perfect screen and it's like, you just have to place it. You just take these like three quarter clapper again, like Lindstrom 75, 80 miles an hour and just place the puck. The goalie's eyes are totally taken away and the goalie can't see anything. You don't need, again, it doesn't need velocity. It just needs placement. The head up will give you that Intel. I think, I think that's the most important thing to, to teach when you're um, trying to teach 
slap shots is once obviously you get comfortable knowing where the puck is on the ice is to have your head up because uh, there's no sense just burying it into the shin pads. Like uh, the hardest shot in the world can still be blocked. So um, no, I think, I think that was a good, uh, good viewing points for everyone. Uh, obviously teaching points for young players who are looking to, uh, you know, expand their skill set into slap shots. And uh, let me jump into my clip here. I'm doing a little bit more on the what do you got in, for us? Let's in, see. Uh, in the uh, in zone stuff. <laughs> I just want to look at uh, Calgary and Dallas here. Uh, this would have been from game four. Uh, Calgary sort of taken it to Dallas uh, on the play aspect, but they've had really good goaltending in, in Dallas and uh, has made it into a low scoring affair. Both teams play very defensive and uh, Dallas does a really good job in their own end of denying opportunities in tight. And they really struggle, I think, and based on this clip, they really struggle with the way Calgary is sort of just moving in the offensive zone. The defense are being active. Players are going everywhere. You can see there's a there, there's going to be a time where Dallas ends up going pretty much into a man-on-man situation in their own end. And that's the easiest as on the offensive side of things. Because there's if there's one breakdown, it's going to result in a, in a scoring chance. So here, uh, the score's 0-0. It's in the first period. This is uh, a clip I took from game four in Dallas. Uh, Calgary's uh, been sort of giving it to, to Dallas throughout the game thus far. Uh, Kachuk gets a, an opportunity to come down the wall, cuts to the middle, makes a good drop pass, gets bobbled a bit. The puck now is on the half wall. Okay. Then we had a backdoor D driving the net off the rush. Johnny Goudreau was doing the same thing. And now Kachuk comes back towards the puck that's situated on the right half wall. And Johnny Goudreau keeps following the contour of the boards up towards the half wall. Okay. The defenseman then uh, recoups back to his position on the right point, which causes confusion and allows the, the other defenseman to then jump back door. Okay. Calgary, you, so it's Calgary's D man recoups Calgary's D. Yeah. You can, and you can see the confusion that goes on here with, with Dallas where they're trying to sort out their defensive zone assignments, right? Who, who do I got here? Like you can't just go back into like a five of dice situation when guys are just buzzing everywhere. You're like, I got to identify my guy. Right. So you can see there's a ton of confusion that goes on here where Dallas is trying to find who, who's, who's my guy, right? Johnny Goudreau bumps the puck down to Kachuk on, uh, below the goal line. Um, Lindholm is still on the half wall. Goudreau starts to drive the net, right? There's one D up top, the other D jump back door. So there's, there's Dallas players flying everywhere. Kachuk rips it up to the point, right? Stretching the zone out, not allowing them to smother uh, Calgary in the defensive zone uh, in the corner. And then the half wall guy, Lindholm, drives to the front of the net. Okay. The weak side defenseman then recovers back to his point, sort of dragging his uh, checker with him, which opens up sort of the middle of the ice, right? You can see Goudreau then becomes the F3 really high, like absurdly high, because he realizes he's got a defenseman covering him. So if I can drag this defenseman way out of his comfort zone in, in front of the net, it's going to open up an opportunity, right? And you see Kachuk makes a pass up to the D. Goudreau rolls around up top. Kachuk then goes to the half wall and Lin- Lindholm's in front of the net. The pass goes to Johnny Goudreau, who's attacking, who starts to attack the net. And then Kachuk creates confusion on the defending side of things where he, he acts as a moving pick. He comes up, skates right towards Goudreau, and you'll see the confusion that goes on with the two Dallas players 
resulting in a, in a great scoring chance for, uh, for Johnny Gujo at, at the net. Things don't work out at the at the front of that, but Johnny Gujo recovers the puck, and you can just see the the motion that goes on here in the offensive zone for for Calgary. Like they're pulling Dallas players everywhere. Kachuk grabs the puck in the corner instead of trying to look for a passing option. He's moving with the puck, right? Again, he's trying to stretch the zone out. Dallas is in a good situation. This is sort of how they want to play defensively, like the five of dice, right? They're really both both wingers up top or below the tops of the circles, or at the top of the circles. They're outnumbering uh, Calgary in, in the lower half of the offensive zone, uh, five on three. And you see Kachuk now expands his zone again, moves it up top. There's a great triangle offense situated here for Calgary. Kachuk moves it up top. Goudreau, again, comes up top again, absurdly high, stretching out the defensive zone coverage again, looking to try to roll over the top. There's a good stick on Dallas, right? So now they've created so much confusion in the offensive zone. They're just buzzing around everywhere. Yes, they didn't really get a shot on net, but there was a great scoring chance available, right? What it does is it, it makes Dallas play man-on-man -man in, in their own end. Because as you saw, when the puck gets up top, they just revert to a man-on-man -man situation. So when all five players on Calgary are sort of acting as if they don't have a position and they're just in creating confusion, it makes it really hard on the defensive team which again, makes it really difficult to defend knowing that Dallas plays 3D a lot of minutes. That's very hard minutes that you're playing in your own end. And as you see, uh, Calgary ends up recovering the puck in the, in the neutral zone. They don't give Dallas a chance to, to change. They man up the puck as quick as possible. And you see Goudreau getting another scoring chance. And the two defensemen from Dallas still haven't even gotten above the top of the circles. Like they're gassed, right? They've been playing man on man in their own end. It, it, it puts so much emphasis on the defenseman uh, in, in when you're playing man on man, you're not being able to outnumber uh, the opposition. And I think Calgary just needs to keep continuing with this type of play in the offensive zone. Like their, their ability to create offense through confusion in, in the offensive zone uh, has caused Dallas a lot of difficulties. They're, like, like I said, their goaltender has been playing stellar hockey, um, and Calgary hasn't had as many. Obviously, they've only I think they've only had seven goals throughout the, the first four games, but their their puck possession is there. I think in the offensive zone, if they can keep sort of stretching out the the defensive zone for for Dallas, they're going to end up generating a lot more offense. And the hardest part like I said, is, is Dallas runs a, a couple D men, big minutes, and you're making Dallas's top guys play hard minutes in their own end. And you're just going to end up wearing them down. Why? I don't, I don't get like, for me, I think we've talked about it before. Dan, I've showed you the diagram, the di like the categories of the zone sort of uh, diagram that, that sort of explains the threat to the net. What's threatening to the net for the goaltender's sake. I use it for, for offensive um, teaching and, and demonstrations, but then we turn around in this in, in this situation with the defensive uh, zone coverage. For me, like they're running around a lot of the time. Like, what's the what's the urgency to run and chase and run and chase and run and chase? Like these guys are a mile away from the net, and it, it, sometimes they're in the corner, right? Like there's there's the one instance in that clip where the net front guy he's standing in front of the net. The puck goes down the corner. He chases all the way to the corner section. Why are you chasing that guy? He's not in good eyes. Like if you're in a situation where you have that little 
confidence in your goaltender where a guy behind the net, I reached sorry, a guy behind the goal line makes you nervous. Like that's that's tricky. But clearly this goalie's playing very well. I don't understand why they're running around so much like that. What, what, what's the urgency? Like what well, I, I I think it's just the the way that they're playing and you know, tactically they're probably told to pre- to pressure uh when the puck's in the corner or below the goal line and collapse uh, the, the high forwards. So you're, like I said, you, you, you're outnumbering Calgary down low below the tops of the circles, five on three, you're trying to pre- high pressure them so that they don't have any options, right? It's a, they got to make small little quick plays in, in that small combined area to be able to generate any offense. And I don't think Calgary is allowing Dallas to get into their set defenses zone coverage. Right. And just, to touch on Gujo running up high, creating three guys up high. It's uncomfortable for me as a defenseman to leave the front of the net and go man on man with a guy that's way out at the blue line. That's, that's not where like I'm more comfortable in front of the net or down low. Right. And they're just the way that they're moving the puck and activating their defense guys are moving everywhere, supporting the puck. Like I, there was a triangle um, like they're creating width and depth in the, in the offensive zone with their, their forward crew. There's two passing options whenever they have the puck plus the defenseman. I just like the way that they're utilizing the D in the, in the offensive zone. A lot of teams, you know, traditionally just will have your, well, in the NHL, it's the, the defenseman becomes a lot more active, but in, in minor hockey, it's, it's very traditional to have your D just sort of stationary up, up top and have the forward should I do everything. Well, hockey's a, a fast moving game of chess essentially right how can i beat the opposition well how i can beat them is by pressuring them and smothering them into the corner and make forcing them to have to come out of that corner three versus five where calgary's not allowing them to do that because they're activating their d from the from the blue line they're bringing forwards up top like they're buzzing around everywhere and i just think that if calgary keeps this type of play up uh, for sure against dallas that Dallas will really struggle um, with them. Like I said, their goaltender has been a phenomenal uh, thus far. He's made a lot of saves and a lot of big saves. Um, and the series uh, is split here two games apiece. But uh, I just feel that if, if Calgary continues to play the same way in the offensive zone, creating separation and stretching out their defensive zone coverage, they're going to keep creating a ton of scoring chances from it. Yeah, I don't know if – I don't think – I don't think Dallas is de-skate well enough to play that, to be honest with you. I don't think they have good enough footwork to run that system, that it's, chasing around because it's well, it's it's hard. It's and if you're rely if you if you're running a couple D big minutes, like I'm sure they don't want Klingberg running in the D zone, spending a minute and a half busting like they want him in the offensive zone. But when you're forcefully making the D play hard minutes defending. Like you're, you're going to get, like you saw at the end of the clip there where they transition the puck out and the puck gets spotted out in the neutral zone. The D man quick up at Klingberg is even at the top of the circle. Like he's gassed, you know, you're going to, you're going to constantly keep breaking them down. Right. And you just, especially the way that they run their, their back end where it's only uh, a few guys that play big over 23 minutes. Uh, it, it's really hard to defend that. Side note, that, those are the types of gaps that I get in men's league when I walk through the neutral zone. <laughs> just <probably laughs> walking into bombs. You, sh- you should be good then. The, um, and then just sort of the, to touch on uh, the, that series has been obviously a low-scoring affair. Uh, I think Calgary is deserving of uh, a better outcome than, than a 2-2. But like I said, you have one goaltender. Well, both goaltenders are playing very well. But 
the Dallas goaltender is just making absurd five, saves. Five bell saves. Like he's making the highlight. He's making the Instagram saves where. Yeah. And so to touch on, um, obviously our, our friends at, at points bet Canada, uh, which is obviously live in Ontario. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm backing Calgary here in uh, like, I, I'm sort of tired of doing the parlays. I did a parlay the other day, uh, a four game parlay. I had Boston, it was game four. I had Boston, St. Louis, Tampa, and Edmonton. Um, and I hit the first three and then LA went up to nothing on Edmonton. I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to hedge my bet here. Cause I like, you know, if I just put some money in a live play on LA, I'm going to for sure either make money or not lose it. And, uh, had a long day with my three kids. Intermission goes, I pass out. LA ends up winning for nothing. So I lose my money, but I'm going to go, um, for the, the game tonight. I'm going to take Calgary just outright. Uh, I just feel like they're, they're too strong. They're going to be coming back home. There's going to be energy in the building. Uh, like I said, they're, they're out, they're outplaying Dallas as is. Uh, and I just think that the dam will end up cracking here and in, in gold for them. And, uh, you know, it'll be good for, for Calgary to coming out of there with a win. And, and, you know, it's, it's been, uh, they've been playing well, they've played defensively very strong. So I'm not worried about that aspect. It's just, um, being able to keep continually creating offense and wearing down the, the defensive uh, side of Dallas's group. Yeah, I agree. I, you can see that the, I like that pick and I like that game. Um, they're really wearing them down. This guy can't, well, you never know, never say never, but this goalie for Dallas, he's just pulling these rabbits out of his hat continuously. Eventually I think the, the wall is going to, the, the dam's going to break. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm just tough three games and look at the games and look at the series. Um, I, I like, I like Washington for, for a one team pick. Uh, the veteran group, they know how to close things out. They've learned how to close things out. So, um, you know, Florida's kind of new to the success. They got a great team. They got great, you know, a lot of great assets, uh, what do you call it? Great assets to that team. But I, I like the way that Washington has a killer instinct. And I, and I think Washington pulls that, I think they pull that, that, that game out and I think they, you know, take a lead in the series. So if I was going to pick one game, I would go with Washington. I like their, I like the way they're playing, the way they're buzzing, the energy they have. Um, yeah, I think this is the year that Florida sort of learns how to win and learn how to, you know, yeah, close the series out. So I think that for my pick, I'd, I'd take Washington. I think they're really buzzing right now. And hopefully if it, Daniel, that's the other thing. There's other details, right? Playoff series. I don't know what's going to happen with Oshie. I'm not sure what's, what's with the high hit on Bennett, if there's anything going on uh, with the ruling there, if they're going to, is there any talk of suspension for that? not that i like it seemed okay to me i don't know it's you know i, I don't know if there was a vicious intent by him at all I, I i think it was sort of just a guy colliding obviously uh you know his head made principal contact but i don't think there was a, a an initial reaction or or intent by uh yossi there but um you know watch like you said washington's well coached uh i had peter laviette in in uh in philadelphia um he's a passionate coach um, loves playoff hockey, like really good at, um, like I said, ho hockey's a fast moving game of chess. He's really good at playing that game, setting up a system to defend against set team. But, um, but again, the uh, former teammate of mine, uh, Claude Drews in Florida, this guy's a big game player. It wouldn't surprise me if he has a, a hell of a game there. I'd, that's, a, that's a game that I stayed away from just because 
Um, you know, I feel like he he's he's in a position where he thinks he can win a cup and he probably deserving of it. He's the competitor. And, uh, you know, I, I think he can sort of take over a, a game or a series. And so I just sort of watch out for him there in that one. But uh, Rob, it was good um, catching up again. Uh, episode two, I thought uh, went well. I had a lot of fun talking hockey and, and breaking down clips. And uh, for anyone out there uh, watching, uh, give us a follow uh, at Rob Shrimp or at Danny Sivret uh, at the Shrimp and Sivret Show. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Shrimp and Savrette Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nation Network YouTube channel to watch all of our video breakdowns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.